I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Welcome back to Fighting on Film, everyone. Uh, this week we are reviewing a, another brand new film um, which came out on friday didn't it last friday if you listen yeah, to just this. on friday yeah week of release um called the forgotten battle which is a dutch film i've been really excited about this one the trailer came out what feels like maybe god a year ago now and was it pre-pandemic it may have been if not it was like just when the pandemic hit and we were yeah. all like just sat around hoping for something good to come on tv and then this trailer emerged and We've been waiting ever since, like on tender hooks of when is it going to be released? It was yeah, supposed to be in 2020. And... And it ramped and ramped, didn't it? Because yeah. I think it was coming out, then it was delayed. And then there was a Netflix trailer about what, a week ago? Yeah. So Netflix must have picked it up because I think it was originally just like a production company trailer. And then that Netflix trailer hit like 4 million views or something stupid in a couple of days. Yeah, everyone was absolutely hyped for it. And it came out on the Friday and we, we obviously watched it like everyone else. I did. I watched it the morning of release. I was like, yeah. yes, I'm, I'm on this. And I watched it before you did. You didn't get a great chance. Yeah, I, I was on daddy duty, so I had to do it in the evening. Yeah. I had very strong feelings on the Friday night. I mean, if anyone following me on my Twitter probably saw what I thought, but I've sort of mellowed a little bit now. I'm a bit more, mm. I've got more. We'll come, we'll come back to like our points rather than... later on. But I think it elicited a lot of negative responses from people that are you know very interested in world war ii history and yeah. consider themselves you know quite knowledgeable across social media so on facebook so on twitter um and I, I know where that came from and I, I know where they were coming from with that yes but i, I also saw some positive reaction too from the, from those people um, i think it's a mixed bag yeah really. it's, it's it's your perspective on it isn't it i think with of this course it is. yeah 
So I, th- I suppose we better like explain what the plot of the film is. This will be a spoiler review for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, by the way. Um, we should mention that. Um, so if you haven't seen it, definitely go and uh, check it out and then perhaps come back and listen to our thoughts. Or I'll leave a gap here. Leave a gap before we go in, just to, in case anyone wants to leave the room or whatever you're going to do. Run a jingle, Rob. There you go. That was your warning. So the the basic premise of the film is quite broad, actually. The feeling we got from the trailer was that it was going to be about the Battle of the Scheldt um, and the campaign to open up the Scheldt once Antwerp had been captured uh, to Allied shipping. The film actually gets quite different. And it's not to say it isn't ambitious or a bad sort of approach no. to, to this story, but it's not what I personally expected. We follow three or four individual characters. We've got Marinus, who is a uh, Dutch Fairmacht soldier. Yep. Uh, I think he's a private. And we follow his story from the Eastern Front back to Holland. Then we have, apologies ahead of time for mispronouncing Dutch names, etc. But we have um, Tunja. I'm not sure what her, how her name is pronounced. Uh, she's played by Susan Rader, or Rader. And she's a clerk at the, the local mayor's office in uh, Zealand. We follow her character with her brother, who is a member of the Resistance. And then we have a glider pilot regiment element, Tom Felton's character and uh, Jamie Flatter's character, which we'll come back to when we talk about uh, cast in a moment. Yeah. And they find themselves crash-landed uh, near Valkyrie. They have to sort of get through enemy lines and, and back to friendly forces. The film sees those plot lines converge yes. in various ways. Very Dunkirk-esque in that regard, isn't it? Yeah, it's very Nolan, uh, especially with the time dilation. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it's it's really interesting that they, they've tried to be super ambitious. I suppose it's best described as like a, like a trilingual, atmospheric, epic drama, I would say. They've gone for atmosphere. They've gone for multiple storylines interconnecting. It's very ambitious. And we'll talk a bit more later on about whether we think that works or not. Yeah. But do you want to go over the, the cast? Yeah, I'll go through the cast a little bit more. So obviously Tom Felton, um, everyone probably will know him as playing Draco Malfoy in the Harry Potter series. It's sort of impossible to get away from that, I think. With... Oh, is that what he's from? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> um, I wrote down in my notes, you know, a glider pilot regiment officer, Malfoy, just so I knew who I was talking about. Um, but a he glider pilot, Harry. Yes, <laughs> Okay, that's the last. That's the last Harry Potter joke. Glide, glider born house. Oh, that was dreadful. Two house points off for that one. So he plays uh, Lieutenant Tony Turner. Jamie Flatters, uh, who plays Sergeant William Sinclair, uh, he was in ITV's Liar and um, a CBBC sitcom called So Awkward. Can't say I've seen either because I don't actually think Liar's out at the time of recording. Um, and he's going to be in the new Avatar films, apparently. And then uh, Susan Radder, um, who played the uh, Tin J. Visser. She's been in lots of Dutch series. She's probably quite well-known in uh, Holland. She was quite good, actually. I quite like yeah, her. Yeah, she character. was good. She was yeah. really she did, standout. She did quite well in this, I think. Mm. And then I, I'm probably going to absolutely butcher the name, but I think it's, is it Gis Blum? Yeah, I'd say mm-hmm. that. He plays Marinus uh, Van Staveren, um, and he was in Letter for the King, which is another Netflix release. Ah, oh, right, okay. And yeah. he, he's obviously, he's the, um, the German. He's the German. The, the, the Dutch you know, German. The Dutch German. Yeah. Um, we've got the, the doctor, uh, Dr. Visser, mm-hmm. who, um, Jan uh, Bibiget, 
I think it is. But, uh, um, I know him from um, Into the Night, which is a Netflix series out of Belgium. I sci-fi. See. And it follows sort of an, like an apocalypse, like solar flares, and they have to sort of escape the sun every day. Oh, and wow, on a okay. plane. It's actually an interesting premise, but he's actually really good in that. And right. I think in the film, he's he's quite strong as well. Yeah, he was. He really felt for his character at times. Um, and then another another name uh, that or a face that will be recognisable to English audiences at least is uh, Theo uh, Bartlett Biggs, and he plays John, a member of the, the Glider Pilot Regiment. In it, he also is going to play uh, Reg Seekings in the SAS Rogue Hero series that the BBC are making. So that's the cast, really. Every I think everyone else is sort of ancillary, really. I don't think I, there's so much going on with this film that if you crammed any more actors in there. They wouldn't. They yeah. really wouldn't have any time to breathe. As, and then as there characters. are people that come in and have a little bit to do, but because it's so small, mm. they get lost. And the SS officer that Marinus meets, yes, you know, and it's sort of like his his arcs over in like what, like 10, 10 minutes, not even that. Yeah. You know, like, well, what was the point in having him? It's, if some of the people feel tacked on a little bit, and mm. um, mm. we'll probably get get back into that. So quickly go through production before we we do the you know the uh, Italian what what have you. So production-wise, it was made by Le- Levitate Film, and it was uh, distributed by September Film over here. Then, obviously, as we, as we mentioned, picked up by Netflix for streaming uh, uh, rights, I, I guess. Uh, directed by uh, Matthias van Heidingen. Sorry if we're getting these pronunciations wrong. Uh, <laughs> doing our best. Um, but he actually directed the The Thing remake um, from 2011. It's a prequel, apparently. I haven't seen it because I love, I love the original. I love John Carpenter's original. Um, so the budget for this one was quite big for a European film. It was 14 million euros, which is the second most expensive Dutch film ever made, which is quite something for a, a war movie. It's significant, isn't this, it? I mean, it does know, especially show. Especially a European film. It does show, yeah. Pr- principal photography in Lithuania. Some of it was filmed in England and Zealand itself too, so you get some nice on-location filming. Um, uh, written by six uh, writers, uh, with the main credit given to uh, Paula van der Oost, and, and she... You know, she's just got lots of uh, Dutch TV credits to her name. Yeah, it, it's yeah. The, a lot of the production staff are, you know, have strong Dutch TV backgrounds, don't they? From, yeah, they from do. what I've looked at on on their list of credits, and it it just seems that they bring a reliable quality. Yes, to, they do. To, all, to sort of know, the... everyone's doing. Everyone who's on the film that I think you know is good at their craft. I'm not. I don't. I think as a film. You know, I don't think the production is the production values aren't bad at all because mm-hmm. they're there. You know, it's just, you know, we will get into it later. We do have caveats, but you know, it's it's the plot itself and, and, and elements within that plot that the movie falls down on. Um, yeah. But obviously, you know, but but going back to the production side of it, they you know they built the dam from scratch, you know, which is just you know, and they built sets from scratch too. So it, it the mise en scene and the the ad. Just looks really nice, you know. The, the, the oh, set yeah. design's no, great. I, I, the mise en scène and and the the art direction, as you say, and the, and the the set Very design is, is all pretty yeah. great. You know, the the airfield scenes with the with the horses and the the tug bombers and things like that. It just looks great. It does. The Dutch houses, the Dutch um, town hall, the shell that's been flooded as well. It looks yeah. great. The cinematography by uh, Leonard Hillage is really good. Mm. Um. Like there's there's bits where the camera sort of it with amongst the chaos of battle there's bits where the characters fall when when you know blasts gone off nearby and the camera falls with them I really like that it, it gives it a really kinetic feel. It's that same um, Ryan energy, isn't it? 
that lovely sequence during the um the, the glider sequence uh where it pans through the cockpit and it comes up yes, through that is through, nice through the uh the middle of the the, the fuselage and and sort of like looks out the cockpit window and it's mm. just really striking really nice um, and then finally there's a there's a little uh fight on film connection well threadbare really but um, if you remember a few weeks ago we talked to charles mains uh the sound there engineer uh, who's worked on lots of war films he did uh, additional audio work on this one so it was nice to see his name pop up in the uh credits yeah it was it was a nice it was surprise really nice to see that yeah as adding on to that the audio is good yeah, the sound design is is pretty good. I don't think Charles was involved in sort of the the sound design element. I think he was doing some of the special effects. I think he was listed down as, um, which is obviously a speciality. The uh, military advisors oh, I forgot to mention them a minute ago uh, were Dan Hurst, who's done Generation Kill. Um, he was the mill advisor, military advisor on Red Tails, uh, and uh, Siege of Shadowville, which we've we've covered on the pod already. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, so that's good. Uh, I think the caveat with that is that he's a military advisor rather than a historical advisor, and I couldn't find anyone listed on the um, the credits, the the, the mm. crew credits, as a as a historical advisor on this one. No, I I couldn't dig anything up either. Um, but that is production, really, because I think it's because it's such a brand new movie. There's just not a lot's been released yet that we could find, really. And I know that Woody did a uh, chat with the production one of the production team. Yeah, back. I think he did, like a producer, I think it was, wasn't Yeah, I it? think so. Yeah. So check out that for more, um, mm. if you haven't already. So shall we move on to the Alley Tally before we go to favourite scenes? Yeah, there's quite a bit we can talk about, I think, this week, isn't there? Yeah, I think there is. It's time for Alley Tally on Fighting on Film. can't start without talking about the horses can we really true there's a lot there's a lot in this film actually and it's one of the strong strong points of the film it's quite a bit yeah but yeah you're right the horse glider is is standout the mm. fact that they built a replica like a, a half scale half not half scale half size replica yep. was super impressive um and that cgi in that sequence is it looks great that, that's where the money's going isn't it that's where a lot yeah. of the money's going it's a shame and it's a boat it's like a good thing and a bad thing Obviously, I just because I think that scene is so well handled and looks really good. You know, I don't know whether like the formations of thing isn't entirely hundred percent right, mm. but you know, how many times how many times have we seen a lift in films lately? We've not seen a lift. Not since Band of Brothers. Not yeah, not since Band of Brothers. Maybe twenty years ago, um, and it, or a British lift. I mean, Christ, you'd have to go back to Bridge Too Far. Bridge Too Far for that yeah. exactly. So it, it, that's really nice. You know, secondly, you've got uh, Halifax. There's a tug, which is just a really nice touch. Yeah, there's Dakotas, and there's, there's. I liked the fact that they went to the, the trouble of putting in numerous different types of aircraft that were tugs, mm. uh, rather than just having like a stock. Copy and paste it. Yeah, copy and paste it exactly. Yeah, of course. There weren't any Hamel cars. Didn't see any Hamel cars. In no, there. didn't see any Hamel cars either. No. And also another little touch that I noticed. Did you notice that the, the crew, that they were talking to in in the um, Halifax were from Birmingham. I did get the accent, yeah. Yeah, I really like that. It's just, I thought it was just a nice little touch because obviously yeah. that's England, I'm afraid. You know, everyone at, at that point in the war, everyone was pitching in, weren't they? So just nice to have a bit of regionalisation, I guess. It felt a little bit empty on first watch, didn't it? The, the, the glider itself. Yeah, the glider itself. Yeah, it was weird because having a glider full of glider pilot regiment personnel is a bit odd to me. 
Mm. I'm not 100% on whether you could do that or not, but surely those guys in the back were probably more useful, maybe flying a glider? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. I, I honestly, until you mentioned the fact that some of them were badged up, I didn't. I just assumed they were glider-borne infantry. No, they weren't, because yeah. the, Theo, the, the character John, he's got his flashes on in, in the, the briefing scene. He's got his uh, blue Jeep glider pilot regiment tabs. Yeah, yeah. But then that also annoyed me more because, I mean, it's, a re- it's me getting into details a bit, but they don't have their army flying badges on their Denison, on the top of their Denison breast pocket on the left no, hand don't. side. And you should have that because that shows you you're qualified to fly the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And it really annoyed me. I'm like, and then Tom Felton's character doesn't have one, which yeah. is really irritating. And I've seen photos of the of, of GPR in theatre. Some do have the badge, some don't. But I was just like, you're trying to distinguish these guys from paras. The movie sort of doesn't do enough at times because they could just be paras. I'm just like, okay, it, it irks me. Yeah, what those guys did is is absolutely in, insanely brave for one, you know, and, and for two, it's just... How many how many times of a depiction have we had? Maybe three times, I think, probably in film. And there were Mark II Denisons, by the way, which was nice to see. I did wonder. I mean, obviously, Tom Tom Felton's is um, a bit pimped. It's a bit alley. Yeah, he's it's got, got like it's a, got a little um, sort of uh, sheepskin collar. It's not a, a windac because I, I was like, Rob, is that a windac? And he was like, No, it's not. It's not a windac. No, no, definitely not. I thought they were trying to do. You know, like how in RAF films, everyone's wearing a like an earthen flying jacket with the sheepskin. Yeah. I think they're trying to do that, but with a denison. Okay, okay. So right. he's, he's a pilot. I think they're trying to make it look like that. Right, I see what you mean. Iconography sort of thing. I've not seen any photos of guys doing that. I did have a cursory search for um, yeah. sheepskin lined denisons and I couldn't find anything similar. No. But I wonder, I, it did occur to me that one of the things that the, the film does is it shows Sinclair as being quite childish in the beginning. Mm. And I think what they're trying to do with his character, we're, we're obviously varying away from the Ali Tally here, but that's fine. We'll come back. It's our show, man. We're allowed. <laughs> but they, I think what they're doing with his character is they're trying to show his sort of evolution towards war maturing him in a very quick manner. I think so, yeah. Because he's shown on. Uh, his character's introduced um, during sort of, he's getting his hours in, isn't he, basically? It, yeah. yeah, he's um, training over like that. And there's, there's some ham-fisted dialogue with the, the tug crew where it's like, you do realise that glider pilots don't come home. And I'm like, he's trying to get his hours in to get his wings. He knows <laughs> what the glider pilot regiment is. Yeah, because he's a sergeant. He knows the deal. Yeah. Well, he's, he's got like, his badge on, so he's a qualified sergeant at that point. He is as well, which is weird. So why is he getting his hours? Yeah, so I'm, unless he's getting some refresher, is it, time in? I don't know, but I'm going to have to mention it. But his dad is, is um, <sighs> it's, I think he's the RAF. Squadron leader, yeah. Yeah, yeah, played by uh, Richard Delane. It's weird. It's so weird where they go. Tom Felton goes, well, we'll have to check with your dad to see whether you can come or not. And yeah. I, I that was the first part of the film moment in the film where i was like what yeah i don't get that there is no way in hell that 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 is how being assigned to a glider before a major op no. work especially that you're a qualified pilot and the fact that his dad then says no you can't go and then it, william comes out and tells tom felton yeah i can go and tom felton just goes great <laughs> like, yeah it. none of that was needed <laughs> 
none of that, that was needed at all. Yeah, I don't. Was, I don't think that helped. it doesn't add anything to the character either. Yeah, exactly. But then it comes up again later on. In its own way, it comes up again where uh, Tony Turner, Tom Felton's character, has got that luger to his head when the Germans find them in mm-hmm. the shell. I mean, it's jumping ahead a bit, but anyway, um, he's fumbling around with his Lee Enfield like he's never fired it before. And there's like a tiny bit of dialogue where he says, "Oh, you know, I'm not a good shot. I'm not very good with this thing." And I'm like, I know you're trying to make it seem that he isn't the most qualified soldier in the world because earlier you were like with his dad, you know, oh, you know, I don't think you're ready for this. But you're in the glider pilot regiment. He's a sergeant in the glider pilot regiment. Sergeant in the glider pilot regiment. You had infantry training. You might be needed when you landed. And obviously we know Louis Hagen's story. We know Victor Miller's story. Yeah, we know these guys' stories. So, And they knew that they were trained and they were trained as infantry. And I just think it was a little bit needless to make him seem like he, in that moment, seem like he's not a, a qualified soldier because you would have had the training and that just really pissed me off. Mainly because, you know, I'm a big fan of the Glider Pilot Regiment and the history is really important and, and interesting. And just to sort of not disparage the regiment, I guess, but to sort of just make it seem like they, he's not a great soldier because of whatever reason, because the plot needs to be to be yeah. so. Just yeah, It's another moment that irked me. It's just a shame. Yeah, and that's that's something that comes up a couple of times, time and again throughout the film. There's little yeah. bits that you go, oh, that mm. wasn't necessary. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back. Let's get back to some alley. Yeah, there's a Bedford. There's a Bedford. About five seconds. Bedford in a modern <laughs> film, Robin. It isn't getting blown up. I well, know exactly. It didn't die. Is it a, a MWD? I think it was. Oh, cool. Yeah. Actually, there's some decent stuff in like vehicle-wise in this film, isn't there? There is, and that's a shame. There's Humber Scout cars. Mm-hmm. There's um. There's a Daimler Dingo in there. There's a Daimler Dingo. There's a Humber Scout car. There's uh, M3 half tracks. Opal Blitz. Opal Blitz, yeah, it's one of them. Yeah, I, th- um, I think a, a Kubelwagen goes by. Kubelwagen, yeah. Point, yeah. Handley Page Halifax, yeah. you mentioned before. So there's lots of interesting sort of like vehicle stuff in there, and I think there's a lot to give the film props for, literally. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, which is good. And then, and then the, obviously the small arms part of it, the, the brain guns, sten guns, SMLEs and number fours, which sort yeah. of swap between each other. So, yeah, so that was one of the things that, that is another one of those moments where I was like, oh, come on. So towards mm. the end of the film, once um, William joins up with the Canadians. Uh, we'll talk about that later. He swaps back and forth between uh, a number one Mark III and SMLE and a, a number four throughout the rest of the film. So I was I was watching it and I was just tweeting. I was like, oh, SMLE. Nope, number four. Nope, SMLE. <laughs> yeah, that was that was funny. <laughs> So do you, do you think that's because maybe the SMLEs were firing with the firing weapons and the number fours weren't? Interesting. Or... Um, I think really it's it's just a lack of continuity and I think it's what they had because I was watching the film again before well, perhaps we began. maybe that bit was shot in Lithuania and the other bit was shot in... Possible. In that Zealand is possible, that, definitely. Um, the guns don't translate, obviously, across. Perhaps. Yeah, it depends on what the armour had on you know on hand. Yeah. Because there's bits on the causeway where there's guys with... I wonder if the Lithuanian parts were the bits that were filmed on for the causeway parts, because possibly the guys certain parts of it. The guys have got minimal webbing on some of them, but they do their best to try and hide that. There's some that don't have pouches. That some that don't have. Rob will go into this in a second, I'm sure. But <laughs> the the Canadians are they they're all wearing Mark III helmets, which is great because that's always like a Canadian sort of like ah Canadian troops Mark III helmets because everyone associates them for some reason. But the fact is, 
I was talking to David Passon and David was saying, David's um, a retired uh, Canadian officer, army officer and um, battlefield tour guide. So he knows, he knows about this particular Crazy campaign. Stuff. Yeah. Mm. And he was saying that only the uh, third Canadian infantry division were issued those helmets. And the guys right. at the, um, the battle of the Valkyrie uh, causeway were wearing um, Mark II helmets. They were, you know, the classic Brody. They've tried to be accurate with, with the helmets and make them look, you know, period correct Canadian, but they've, they've not dug deep enough apparently. And then they've, they've given them the wrong helmets. But yeah. Cause that's what you were saying about the webbing. It's like no small packs, no entrenching tools, mm. no bayonet frogs, no bayonets. It, it's little things they like that. They can't have bayonets because the they've all got different rifles. Oh yeah. Of course that'd be a nightmare for the, for the quartermaster, wouldn't it? But like, by that point in the movie, and obviously we'll come on to it, don't worry, but like by that point in the movie, that was just starting to piss me off more and more. Mm. And I was like, come on, it's like, you know, full webbing sets wouldn't have annoyed me if I was just enjoying the movie. I could have gone, oh, that's fine. Well, it's a 30 you know, minute final act crescendo yeah, exa- of the film. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's what it's that half hour. It's that you're right. It's that half hour end sequence that sort of just it, that's where the screw for me, was so loose, or I was just like, you know what, well, I don't care anymore. Mm. I sort of stopped caring at a point. And I think it was that bit when the Canadians were introduced, because I was like, oh, come on. You know, I sort of paused it, and I was like, really? They're going to get this amount of time yeah. in a movie about their campaign? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Scottish troops that were involved, and, and all the people that were involved, they're going to get half hour. I was like, really? Well, this is it, yeah. You know, and, we've, and we've spent nearly an hour and a half with the Glider Pilot Regiment, who weren't even at the fucking battle. Yeah, well, uh, and this is something Ugh. we'll talk about in a moment, but yeah. it's obviously where the aim of the writers has gotten confused somewhere and they've tried to I think do so. more elements in. But just to finish off the alley tally, um, sure. there was a, there was a, a, a M1914 um, that popped up. Panzerfaust too. Well, oh God, yeah, we're going to have to talk about that in a minute. Um, but yeah, there was um, yeah. Uh, a 1914, which is a little bit... Um, well, definitely would not have been present. Let's put it that way. But we did That'd get a couple weird, of STEM Mark IIs, uh, no Mark Threes, yeah. and we did get, I think, three Brens uh, Mark Threes. I think they were. I mean, I have to. We have to nitpick at these things on the alley tally because people expect it. I'm not. Yeah, of course. Not trying to like you know nitpick things for for no reason, but no, just no, things that we know. Alley tally's for, isn't it? isn't it? Yeah, that's what it's for. Yeah. And then one thing I know that Andy H and will not let us get away with saying is that. No uh, windproof smocks either for the 52nd. Yeah, but... Um, I, Lowland lads. Whether the 52nd of the guys that we see, debatable, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. there's one officer who's got the patch on, the Lowland yes, patch. Yes, and he does have a, a Scottish accent, doesn't he? He does, but then that's, I think, the only see him that time. There's no, they're not in it again. Yeah, that's the only nod to them, isn't it, really, I think? Yeah. So I think... A bit annoying. It's a bit annoying. And then and then obviously, you know, um, you're... you're you know, your expertise. Matt, what did you think about the Panzerfaust? Ah, the Panzerfaust. And the T-34, which we have to add. Uh, yeah, there's a weird little eastern front section. Okay, so yeah. yeah, that's worth talking about in and of itself, isn't it? So with the, um, with that character, what's his name? Hang on. Marinus? Yeah, we go. Marius, yeah. So with Marinus's character, um, he's a um, Dutch Wehrmacht volunteer who's on the mm-hmm. eastern front. And that's how we're introduced to him. We're introduced to him Mid battle, um, I think it's near Nerva. I think is the where they mm-hmm. it, it comes up in little 
little uh, tight face at the bottom. It explains where they are. Yep. Um, which is necessary in this film. Um, because it's such a jarring jump away from all the other storylines that we're now in in Russia on the Eastern Front and we are thrown straight into uh, a battle in what looks like a Russian hamlet, which is great. That's that's an interesting um, inclusion. Yeah. He's introduced burying a landmine and then he falls back to a trench and they are packed into that trench like sardines, which is a bit inaccurate. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we get this uh, T-3485, I think it is, yeah comes in with infantry support and they're blacking away with PPSH 41s. Um, there's chaos in the German lines. Yeah, ironically, the, the, the Russian troops look quite good. Uh, that was probably filmed in Lithuania and Lithuania, that's why they probably, look yeah. spot on. Yeah, they um, look decent, yeah. Um, and we get, that's when Marinus's character begins to see, um, you know, the, the futility, futility of war where his friend Lucas gets um, shell-shocked and staggers forward towards the, the, Russian, the oncoming That's Russians it, and gets yeah. killed by a full burst of PPSH fire. They knock out that T-34 at close range with a, um, a Panzerfaust, I think Panzerfaust 60 is supposed to be, um, which is quite good. It's not a bad representation. The warhead does leave the tube a bit slow. It's like, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a, a lag. Fires it like a bazooka though, didn't he? He does it, and there are there are photographs and some footage of the guys um, firing them over the shoulder. Obviously, when we think about Panzerfaust, we we often think about them being tucked under the under the arm. Um, yeah. But you but you could fire them over the shoulder like a like a, a bazooka. Um, and then the next time we see him, he's he's in a hospital injured with um, fragments in, yeah. his, in his uh, lung, I think. Um, but yeah, that's not wasn't a bad scene other than the the. Um, the Germans running away from the Russians right in front of the tank. Um, it's a bit weird. It, it, it's no wonder the Wehrmacht lost on the Eastern Front, is it? Um, yeah, yeah. With that kind of... Well, that would have been like... that. I think it's probably trying to say that that's when the, the, the Russians are sweeping through. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's that. Like they're, 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 the Russians are getting momentum and... They're, they're, trying to show yeah. that quick. Exactly. But you, you don't have to show it, though. No. It's a bit of a... Weird sequence. It does, I don't think it really fits personally. No, and th- it's just to get him out of that situation where you could have just had him in, had him turn up and go, "Where did you come from? Well, I came from the Eastern Front." Yeah. Oh, great! What's happening over there? Oh, the Russians are really doing. Awesome. Insert flashback, <laughs> if you must. Yeah, yeah, if you wanted to, it's just a bit yeah. packed on. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, so I think I think the best thing for us to do now is to um, perhaps talk a little bit about our favourite scenes. Of course. Hello, I'm Al Murray, and you're listening to Fighting on Film, the world's number one war film podcast. Favourite scene this week? I think for me it's the glider sequence, just for the spectacle element of it. I mean, it's me, it's me too, really. Yeah. I and mean, I think that's the standout, really. I think the way that the, the cinematography and the CGI are done in that sequence is really good, and we'll talk about it in a second, but it's based on a little bit of truth, but it's not quite correct from what we've mm. read. Um, yeah, it, the, the the formation is just coming over the the coast of of the Netherlands, and then they start taking flak. And yep. um, the the wing of the the aircraft is damaged. Tom Felton's injured. Um, yeah, the wing of the aircraft, the glider, I should say, um, yep. is is damaged quite badly. And there's a great shot where um, Henk, one of the glider pilot regiment guys, the Dutchman, 
um, it is checking the, the, the status of the, the left wing, see the how wing. it is. Yeah. And the door is damaged and it flies off its hinges and you get this that looks great. great shot of the flat going off, the damaged wing, um, some gliders going past. It's a really great sequence because you get that um, one of the tugs. Is- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On fire and it crashes through. Yeah, like it, it's very like, um, you know, it's very reminiscent of Banner Brothers, like lift scene it's very reminiscent of bridge too far's lift it looks and it also you know it must borrow from the footage of the time that was the shot by the fpu um in the, in the horses themselves it's really strong but then it's sort of like you know is it they, they didn't take that much flack from what we can gather no because I mean, we, we, looked at, we looked at a couple of sources didn't we i looked at glada pilot regiment war diaries from the time you know, the only mentions of flak I found were sort of like light flak or yeah. there was flak, but it didn't bother us. And and Hagen himself in Arnhem Lift, he just mentions like, I think he mentions flak three times, but only once when he's going in and he says it was light. And the only times he ever mentions flak after is when it's actually attacking the third or second lift. So I sort of, I don't think they took that much heavy as flak as the movie's trying to show. No, I mean... Unless those lads were really unlucky which i think they, they probably yeah were. well i i did a bit of digging I, I was like when i first watched it I was like did they really go over the the shelt when on the flight path so i looked the flight path exactly up. yeah how close are they and yeah. that was that was uh pretty much okay because they they made landfall over Schuven and then went south a little bit and then north to arnhem okay um and uh that fits with what the film shows and Victor mm. Miller in his, his his memoir, Nothing is Impossible, which is a great read, by the way, um, also talks about a little bit of light flack, like like like, um, like Lewis Hagen does. And it's just as they're passing over the mainland, but he talks about typhoons swooping down to knock out the batteries that were firing, and the, the, it wasn't heavy. And he talks about some of the planes um, uh, doing a little bit of evasive action but he talks about how the tug wasn't doing evasive action. So he didn't have a lot of option to do evasive action. So they just went straight straight through it and they were fine. You just got to sit there until you until you release, don't you? Yeah, You've got exactly. to just do what the tug's doing. And he doesn't yeah. mention any aircraft lost. Um, but it is true that the, the lift did encounter some flak. There's two accounts of gliders going down uh, near the Dutch coast. Um, yep. one landed in the water and I think the guys were picked up after a short firefight. 
Uh, yeah, she was showing me this account, weren't you, mm. yesterday? And then yeah. there was a, a another one that landed on the shore and exchanged fire with uh, a position that was run manned by Russian conscripts. That's um, it, yeah, like Russian prisoners of war. Yeah, like something turned. like that, yeah. They were the only two accounts I could find of anyone crash landing. That's where the film sort of departs from from fact, I think, there. Yeah, that scene is good, though. There's a lot of tension when they're trying to yes. disengage the tow rope. But then Tom Felton goes, roll the plane. And I'm like, you're in a fucking glider, mate. <laughs> you're, you're the senior officer on this horse. You would know you're flying a fucking horse. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just a little bit annoying. And it's not a roll, it's you know, a bank. Like, they bank. Yeah, exactly. They don't roll. As a spectacle in, in a film, it's really great. You know, you can tell a lot of care and money was spent on that sequence alone. Mm. I just wish they'd have put the money into showing some buffaloes, which would have been useful. Because yeah. unfortunately for me, I mean, this is this is where we'll start the sort of what we didn't like and it i think it for me outweighs what i did like to put all that pomp and spectacle about arnhem in into your shelf film it for me is just really odd and misplaced because the canadians don't enter the picture until the hour and a half mark yeah the, the final final act the final act really really like the death throes of the movie and then they get them so I'm not saying they don't get the Canadians wrong. They don't get the Canadians wrong. The Canadians fought an amazing battle and, and were really brave and stuff. But firstly, <laughs> your glider pilot regiment chat linked back up with the Canadians after hiding in the shelf for a bit. Because that their whole story is just fucking needless, really. You know, they don't yeah. do anything. Yeah. yeah. They don't make they don't move the plot forward. The the Dutch resistance girl, the Dutch family's plot moves the plot forward. Mm. They're way more interesting about what's going on. You know, you've got the brother get shot. I did enjoy those elements. That that was my other, my other choice was for the fave scene was the sequence where the father realizes that he has made a mistake in trusting the yes. Germans, and I think that is a very powerful scene. And I think his character is the one that enjoys the most arc and development. I think so because he goes yeah. from being, um, I suppose, what you could call a collaborator. He's a doctor that is... He's just, he's just a trustworthy person, isn't he, I think? I don't think he's a yeah, collaborator. Yeah, he's, he's just someone who's interested in helping people because he's a doctor. Of course, yeah. yeah. And he's wet with the Germans, so he assumes that they're reasonable people because he hasn't seen them at their worst. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. he pleads with the, the, um, the, the governor of, of the region um, to, to give his son, who through that rocket the the opal blitz and that's and it at the start that, yeah that ran a couple of germans over um uh, a prison sentence he'll hand himself in if he isn't executed and mm. he takes the german officer's word at that that he will uh give him a prison sentence and obviously he tortures his the son's the son is tortured quite yep. quite brutally and then he's yeah, executed. That scene is, yeah. Mm. that scene's very good i thought they they showed just enough to to hint at the the brutality and the viciousness yeah, of, of that torture yeah. um and it's it's a the the resistance storyline is so bleak because his impetuous action over being angry that his camera has been smashed let's let's backtrack a little bit so there's a sequence at the beginning of the film where the 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 female character um Tunja is um is taking photographs of the the Germans as they retreat from uh, Volkeren before they decide mm -hmm. to dig in there. 
he's he's very naive or, or, or brash, I suppose, in taking photographs right in their face. Yes. And eventually a, a German officer takes the, the camera off him and throws it to the ground, breaks it. And you get the dialogue of like, you know, we're not, we're not leaving, we're just retreating. You're still under occupation sort of dialogue. There's a little bit there where they're taking down a Nazi flag while the Nazis are still marching past. Yeah. I don't think it would have happened. But anyway, he's incensed that his, his camera's been broken and in an act of defiance, he picks up a rock and hurls it at an Opal Blitz, which is oncoming. He hits the driver and the driver is knocked out and the, the truck careens through the German column and, and runs down some German soldiers, which are marching. Yes. And then the whole resistance plot or the brother's plot revolves around should he hand himself in? Shouldn't he? Because he's also taken photographs of some of the batteries and defences around the defences, yeah. And so his story is quite important. It is, and it's something... really interesting. So yeah, that be- the opening to his story is a little ham-fisted, in my opinion. It doesn't quite work. It just seems a bit unlikely that he would be so brazen in taking brazen. photographs mm. when he's gone out and gotten so close to the defences and managed to get decent photos. He's got something to lose. He's got so he's much to lose, isn't he? Yeah, but yeah. he's he's obviously, this character is supposed to be a, like a, a brash young man and he wants to you know do something about the Germans while he can. Of course. And yeah, you, yeah so fast forward through that, his character is eventually on his father's advice, he does surrender. And he's yep. tortured and gives up members of the Dutch resistance, which is a is a bleak but really important storyline because that's the sort of thing that happened. Of and course. that's that's one of the more yeah. powerful elements of the film. Yeah, you know, and he get he gets shot on the clip on the coastline there. He does, and and, and, and it, Marinus is one of the guys that is in the firing detail. Yeah, and that's where it starts sort of like the, the characters coming together mm. sort of thing happens. It's yeah. the first time it happens in the movie. I got behind that storyline because it hadn't you, the characters had more to lose, obviously. You know, if the girl got found out after that point, the whole village could be killed through reprisals. That's where I felt the film was going to put its weight, but then it jumped back. Yeah, and exactly. And then this is where the, the Glider Pilot Regiment guys come back in. And looking back after, you know, maybe after the weekend, I sort of went through some of the scenes again. I think, well, they're, they're just stories just doesn't make sense. No. They're so bold and brash about going through the shell itself. You know, going into houses and things and not lying low. They get drunk at night, make loads of fucking noise. Mm. And I'm thinking, you are trained glider pilot regiment soldiers. You're behind enemy lines as it is. You know you're not where you're meant to be. And you know that you know information about the biggest airborne operation going on a few hours away. If you get captured, that whole operation is... You know, this is all I was thinking during, like, if they get captured, then then Market Garden's fucked because they could get tortured and stuff and found out. But no, their whole element is we need to get back to here because we want to get back to the Canadians. And uh, and I'm like, okay, but why? Why is their story important at all? Well, it isn't. It's not. But And the only reason I can fathom is that they've put the GPR in and Arnhem in is because in, obviously, for a Dutch audience, Market Garden's going to be a much bigger touch uh, touchstone for the audience, sort of like... Yeah, for Dutch and international audiences. Yeah, definitely. It, it, exactly but it doesn't really fit your movie about the shell you're calling it the forgotten battle or the battle for the shell or whatever well they've forgotten the battle exactly the battle of the shell is only half hour mm. and then that's where the issues begin to me once the canadians come in a time i mentioned it earlier time stamped it it's about an hour and 25 minutes well, it's a two hour, first canadian two hour soldier. seven minute film 
And I was thinking, hang on a minute. No, they're not doing this now, are they? You know, I was like, really? It's that, that's where it really just, and, and this is another point as well. I mean, we're probably in final thoughts because this is all final thoughts. But like the trailer, and I didn't watch the trailer beforehand before watching it. And I'm pleased that I didn't. Yeah, you saw, the, you saw the original one a year ago, right? The original one. I didn't watch the Netflix one that everyone was going mad about. I rewatched that this morning and I saw it and I was like, that's not the movie. That's not the movie that we got. No. You know, and it's trying to be like, you know, three people interconnected by war and all that sort of thing. But the way the trailer's cut, and obviously I know trailers are cut to make them look something that they're not anyway, but the trailer makes it look like a solid war film mm. about the Battle of the Shelt with somehow with the gliders in. And I wish, and my brain watching the trailer is like, well, hang on, there's gliders in that Shelt film. What the fuck? I know. I know. Well, this is you this know? is it. Though. I was I wandered off my point a little bit, but what some of my favourite scenes were the the underground, the resistance scenes were. Yeah. Um, agreed. She she's having to decide how can she help save her brother. She thinks that by withholding the 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 photographs he's taken from the resistance, they might be able to rescue him. It's a, it's a vain hope. Yeah. Um, and eventually she's. And that's far more interesting. It is, and she's eventually involved in telling the Canadians how to get across the the causeway and outflank the Germans, yeah, exactly. which is something we'll come back to in a second. I just thought there was a lot of character development and arc that was interesting in and of itself within that resistance arc. You mentioned it earlier that the glider pilot arc of the, the film isn't really necessary. I feel like no. it was a film that was too long for what it was and that it was too short for what it could have been. It could have been a four to six sort of limited series about uh, the Netherlands in World War II. You could have had your resistance plot. You could have had your um, your glider pilot regiment plot with a little bit of an Arnhem story. Perhaps it was, you know, you could have had one of that. the glider pilot, gliders that crashed and was, you know, captured shortly after they crash-landed crash on the coast. Uh, and then you could have had your, your Commonwealth Canadian element in another episode or intertwined or however you wanted mm. to do it. I feel like what they've done is they've perhaps written a limited series and then someone has gone, we're going to make it a film. Yeah, perhaps. And I keep bringing it up, but the, the glider pilot guys would be far better served. Their story would be far better served in Arnhem. Yes. Telling the story of the glider pilot regiment in Arnhem. And you'd be much better served in this film telling the story of the bloody Canadians and the 52nd Lowland who were actually involved in the battle. And the way the movie ends we're getting ahead of ourselves again, but the way the movie ends, it makes it look like that estuary battle across that causeway was mm. the shell itself. And that was the entirety of yeah, the, of that operation. Whereas of course it, it, wasn't. Was, it was it was a multiple sort of island operation. Yeah. And infatuate was the operation that finally captured Vulcan and opened up the shelt. Of course. But the thing about that end sequence with the causeway is obviously they've compressed it to within half an hour. And in doing so, they've they've minimized they've minimized the the number of canadian troops involved and the involvement of the 52nd lowland division and i think they've they've minimized the the importance of the battle after the start of the movie says how important it is well you know what I, they diminished I, I, the would, need you know the reasons for it all before they got to the causeway i thought they were just going to do that classic thing where they tell the story of getting to the battle but not showing the battle right I thought that was possibly what they were going to do. And I was a little bit relieved that they did show the Battle of Volker and Causeway 
because that's the opening it's the opening to those act, five sort of, days. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. the opening to those five days of fighting that eventually saw the island liberated. Should we discuss how the the, the battle actually sort of progressed? Yeah, could you just quickly quickly give a context there, quick for everyone listening yeah. who does, maybe so, not, might not be clued up. On the 31st of October, the uh, Canadian 2nd Infantry Division was hoping to sort of bounce across into Valkyran and take the island uh, quickly. They didn't know what the, the resistance level was going to be, so they, they mounted an attack across. Um, that wasn't successful. And then successive battalions sent companies forward. So there were three principal Canadian uh, battalions involved. Uh, there were the uh, Black Watch of Canada, mm-hmm. which is the battalion which is portrayed in the film. There was a company from the Calgary Highlanders that went in. Then there was uh, Le Regiment de Maisonneuve, who, um, the Maisies, who sent, uh, they were from the 5th uh, Canadian Infantry Division, and they were one of the battalions that got across the, the causeway and clung onto a small beachhead on the other side. That's something that the film doesn't actually show. It just shows sort of they can't cross the causeway. They can't yeah. get across. Uh, they're stuck at that midway point where uh, the, the, the Germans blew the road, mm-hmm. which is exactly what happened, and that's accurate. And uh, a lot of the accounts from the battle talk about how men sheltered it in that hole in the causeway. Um, and that was that was the reason they couldn't get um, armour across, armour vehicles and tanks, etc., to support the infantry. Yeah. So it was an infantry battle. They crossed of what was like 40 yards wide with water on either side to get um to get to the other side of, of the of the um the causeway mm. and at, the, at that point the germans had every inch of that causeway dialed in with mortars which isn't shown in the film we're just shown no. uh, an 88 uh, flak gun that was firing straight down uh straight down the causeway which is apparently accurate there was an anti-tank gun it might have been a pack 40 um yeah or an ATA, I don't know. But there was a gun that was firing straight down the causeway, obviously, envisaging tanks coming along. They've kind of distilled the, that battle down yeah. in and of itself that you could make an entire film about the Battle this of This is the biggest rub, isn't it? Where that whole battle of the causeway there and the Shelt battle is just summed up in half an hour. Mm. With, um, with your principal character, who shouldn't even be there? The way that the, way that the, the, um, the impasse was broken... Uh, elements of the, the the 52nd Lowland Division, Glasgow Highlanders, the Cameroonians, mm-hmm. they crossed the uh, I think it's called the Slow, which is the the the, um, the marsh that the causeway cut in in half between the two islands, and they managed to outflank the German positions, surrounded the beachhead, and then the Glasgow Highlanders managed to push through, and at the same time, yeah. you've got Operation Infatuate, which is um, Royal Marine Commandos coming ashore at, at Flushing and elsewhere along the coast, you've got you know, Buffaloes coming in and LCAs and they, they, they took the island in like a combined arms attack. Um, the only reason they went across the causeway is they thought they'd be able to bounce across and get in quickly. Of course. That wasn't, yeah. wasn't to be. So yeah, you don't get any of that nuance within that because they just don't have the time. No. See, I was like, oh, is this going to be a movie set in the shell area but not about the shell battle mm. and it's going to be called the forgotten battle because it's a forgotten group of men from the glider pilot regiment who just so happened to crash there but no then your movie has then the movie goes oh no hang on it is about the canadians wait a minute we've got half an hour to spare we better shove them in 
yeah. and get our guy from the glider pilot regiment to meet up with them. And I was like, okay, cool. So maybe he's going to leave now, but now they go, Oh, I'll get you a uniform. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. That, that was another one of those moments where you go, what? I was really upset about that. That, that whole sequence where he arrives back, he, he climbs off the, off the scout car. He's wandering through the, uh, the Canadian uh, company HQ. Uh, some random Canadian private also called William turns to him and says, you're all right. And he goes, yeah. And then he gives him a light for a, for a, a ciggy. And then he's like, let's get you a, unif- a new uniform and, and some food. And it's like, you're a private. Why are you getting, you would just take him to the, you know, your yeah. commanding officer and go, oh, we got a glider pilot regiment lad here. He needs yeah. to go back to the UK or back to wherever. Um, there's another lift that needs to be taken in perhaps who knows because at this point yeah well it's like work out what he's doing here and send him back this point you have no idea of the chronology that the film is trying to portray because the battle of the Scheldt and the battle of uh, Valkyrie Causeway began on October 31st Arnhem's first lift was on the 17th of September yeah it's a whole month before so yeah exactly you don't get any sort of inkling from the film that no. any more than like two three four days have passed that's what it feels like that's what it feels like and that is really egregious as and, well and it's such a time dilation and it's something that films mm. are obviously going to be guilty of time time to time especially war films but, but it could have just it could have just had a little bit of text at the bottom you know bottom third going like three weeks later yeah he bumps into the canadians i would have been able to go okay fair enough then because at least you're Maybe that was something that was lost in the edit. Oh, I don't know. But then for him just to so happily... But the result is it doesn't It doesn't make just sense. Just to happily rebadge up as Canadians and go in on, in on that battle. Yeah, get rid of your Denison with your, your flying yeah, wings. That you've worked so fucking hard to get your army mm. flying wings. Fucking make the conscious choice to be in that regiment and you work fucking hard for it. Mm-hmm. And those guys were super fucking proud of what they did. It just diminishes the regiment a little bit. Does. And I thought it was really unfair, and it's unfair to the Canadians as well. I just thought it was very unlikely the way they, they scripted that part, yeah. And I think it's where the movie really fell down for me, because I, I just stopped caring after that point. Mm. I know what you mean. I and then when mean. they all meet up at the end, it felt really forced. Yes. So the the three remaining characters meet up. The, um, the, the, the sister who's now in the Resistance, that was yeah. trying to get the, uh, the plans to the, to the, uh, the Allies. She's captured because she puts the, the plans in a, in, a, in a boat and pushes her friend yeah. who's been wounded across, who's picked up and the plans are, you know, finally found. I looked into that. I couldn't find any sort of accounts that verified no. that was something that actually happened. There is like one brief mention of it um, on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. um, but the, the, there isn't a direct citation for that, that, that point that it makes uh, where it talks about resistance getting... Uh, telling the Canadians that there is a there was a, a tidal path that they could get boats through within the slow, which is the the tidal uh, marsh. Mm-hmm. So that part I I couldn't find any sort of confirmation for. No. But this is it. Like it it seems that they've managed to get all three in at the same place. The Canadians finally cross, and it's shown as being Canadians rather than members of the, the 52nd Lowland that make the crossing. Yeah, Caledonian Regiment, weren't they? Uh, Cameroonians, yeah. Camerons, yeah. And they, they cross over 
and they outflank the Germans. And that is what that is that is when um, William and uh, Baroness meet each other in a wheat field at gunpoint. It's a Mexican standoff. It is a bit, it's yeah. A, it's a Netherlands standoff. And it, it's just so forced. There's no, there's so little likelihood of these two characters meeting one another. Yeah, and exactly. They let, they let each other go. And they, Marinus runs off towards the, 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 the Russian, the Russian, towards the German <laughs> Might as well fucking, might as well have. It wouldn't have surprised <laughs> me if it had turned up in Eastern Europe after that. Well, how did, how did he get back to ne- the Netherlands so quickly from the Eastern Front? A train, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Horseback, probably known the Wehrmacht. Well, that's it. There's very, very few horses in this film. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah, but that, um, that's the endem- endemic of any like portrayal of the Fairmax, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah during that retreat scene at the beginning, there should have been a fuck ton of horses. Cool, and horses carts and carts. Yeah, yeah, it would have been nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and that's the issue. I think that's the, that's the wider problem for me, Matt, is that because I didn't enjoy the movie, I was nitpicking on it way more. And yeah. I know there's movies yeah. that we've covered that have been way less accurate for the show, but we've given a free ride because we enjoyed the movie as a movie i agree and we enjoyed the narrative and the plot and when you don't unfortunately i sit there i know a lot of other people probably do as well and they start to pull away at everything and overanalyze everything yeah why because are those, you're not enjoying it why are those 25 pounders still limbered while they're firing yeah exactly where why haven't they opened fire before now why are they only firing when the yeah. canadians are retreating you know, in actuality, they'd laid out an entire fire plan. Yeah. There was there was tanks and twenty five pounders firing. There was smoke screens. There was Vickers machine yeah. guns laying down indirect fire barrages on German positions. I know all sorts covering that attack across the causeway. Mm, we don't get any of that. See what I mean? And that's where maybe it's budget restraints. And fourteen million is quite a big budget, but it's not it's not Hollywood yeah. standards stuff like that. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, for my final sort of thing. It, I just didn't enjoy it as a movie on, on the whole because it was trying to do too much mm. and it couldn't pick who it really wanted to be its main star or, or its main character. And it did have that Dunkirk thing where I and when I watch Dunkirk again and, and whenever I see it, I'm like, well, I don't really care about anyone in the end because there's too many people crammed in. True. Anyway. It's a, it's a little bit um, grating that the, the, the two members of the, the party, the Glider Pilot, guys john and um i forget the other chap's name the character's name what, tom felton's uh, no no the other the other um chap that was in the back of the glider um oh yeah nigel i think they nigel, just disappear yeah. they, they 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 just go they talk yeah. about surrendering and then one morning they disappeared um, that's it off they get drunk yeah and that's part of william's maturing throughout the film where he's like mm. no we're not going to surrender you know and it, it's yeah. that and he's becoming a, a bit of a leader but then he has no one to lead no, exactly. And then yeah. at the end, and this is one of the and things. And he's reduced that, to the rank of a private in about two seconds. Exactly. And doesn't this care. is one of the things that struck me at the end of the film was mm. he goes through all this um, evolution. By the end of it, he isn't leading anyone. He isn't interacting. He doesn't say anything. He's no. just a private soldier yeah. that's been thrust into this attack along the causeway. And then the film does a fantastic job of showing the chaos of that battle and the mud and the dirt and the blood. I, I got the atmosphere from it. Yeah. Not everything was accurate just, about it. The P14 that popped up. Of course, yeah. SMLEs. But, but it does it far too late and too quickly. Um, you know, the, the 25 pounders that were yeah. all limbered. Those are nitpicks. But I think what happens with the film is it suffers from trying to do too much, but not hitting 
the right balance amongst all of no. the characters. Yeah. Seriously, just edit out the Gladiator Regiment, guys. And I think you probably have a good, a better film. Well, this, they that's don't, it. They, as, don't, they feel we were, forced. Yeah. As I was saying earlier, it would have made a, a great miniseries with mm. Arnhem Glider Pilot Regiment, Canadians, Dutch Resistance, some other aspects of the, you know, the war in the shell that we don't know about and the wider would have been good. Uh, Dutch campaign. But I mean, really, it's probably to sum up, it's a well-meaning film. Yes. But for me, but for me and you, I just don't think it worked. And that's a, and that, and that's probably the first time we've probably been sort of unanimous on a movie. I think. Mm. I mean, I loved the mise en scène. I loved the flooded villages, the flooded fields, the mud of the battle, the atmosphere of the town hall, uh, the Eastern Front Hospital. The mise en scène set dressing was great. The cinematography was was pretty solid. I felt you know it felt dynamic, and it was a it was a bold idea. It's a multifaceted approach, looking at multiple characters. But it just wasn't carried off as well as it could have been. No. And they were clearly just cramming too much in. But I think, yeah. you know, for Dutch cinema and war remembrance, I think it's significant and well worth watching. Um, some, of the, some of the dialogue was a little bit ropey, you know, with like one of the guys gets, you know, shouts fire for effect at a brain gunner. Watch it in the original dub, maybe not with the overdub. Dutch actors, they overdub them. Netflix does that thing where it does like a... Oh, yeah, yeah. I've saw a couple of people saying that. And I did watch it the second time with, with, yeah. the, with the subs. And it yeah, was I better. But those bits, but obviously well. they were the, the Canadian parts of the mm, film. Of course, yeah. But as I say, in terms of Dutch cinema and, and remembrance of the war and cultural memory in, in, in the Netherlands and in broader Europe and internationally, I think it's important because it's a battle that is forgotten and despite the film largely forgetting a lot of aspects <laughs> of the battle it. yeah exactly it it does raise you know it it does that thing that we always talk about on the pod it makes people go oh it raises awareness is, it does this is a part of the war i didn't know about and i saw a number of tweets under the forgotten battle tag um on social media where people were like i didn't even know about this i'm going to go away and, and you know look it up good well if it does that then it does something I mean, that's one of our things we do say about the war film genre now. It needs to do more work to sort of preserve and things as it's going forward. So if 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 that does that, then great. I just think it's a movie for me this week. I just it just didn't get me. It's number four in the UK on Netflix right now. I know it is. So I it's know. it's done it, well. Exactly. And it's reached it an audience. And well. I think that is a better it's a it's a bonus. Mm. I think that is the main thing that this film is going to do. It's going to reach an audience. And while it it doesn't tell the story that we expected it to tell and perhaps doesn't tell it in the detail or um, the depth that we, we would the like. Manner, yeah. The manner, yeah. The manner we'd like. I think it does sort of you know, raise awareness. And that's a, a positive. Well, there you go. We salvaged something from nothing there. That probably wraps up for today. It's out there. It's on Netflix right now. You know, it's um, easily watchable this week, which we can't say about many of the films we cover, which is quite nice. Um, yeah, so if you haven't seen The Forgotten Battle and you want to, that is on Netflix. And as always, um, you can like, share, subscribe to the pod, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, support us on Patreon and get involved in, in the Twitter and the, in the Facebook chat. We always love to, to hear from you. And next week is our AMA episode for our first anniversary. And we're really looking forward to it. We've super excited. We've got some great questions. We have already. And if you have any, hit us up on social media we've put posts up about it leave us a, a question or you can uh, you can reach us via our website uh, mm. www.fightingonfilm.com we have a contact page on there you can you can leave a question there too 
yeah and thanks to all the new patrons that have, that have joined this month it's uh, really nice absolutely yeah it's really great it makes um, it just makes running the show that little bit easier covering some of the domain ho- um, hosting and you know if we ever get any wacky ideas it means we've got the budget to sort of see them through so it's really really <laughs> nice um, yeah thank you uh, and we'll catch you again next week thanks for listening guys bye thanks everybody bye 